There are few things that make people successful. Taking a step forward to change their lives is one successful trait, but it takes some time to get there. How do you move forward to greet the success that awaits you? Welcome to Next Steps Forward with host Chris Meek. Each week, Chris brings on another guest who has successfully taken the next steps forward. Now, here is Chris Meek. Hello, I'm Chris Meek. Welcome to this week's edition of Next Steps Forward. As always, it's great to have you with us again. Susan McPherson is our guest today. Susan is a serial connector, angel investor, and corporate responsibility expert. She is the founder and CEO of McPherson Strategies, a communications consultancy focused on the intersection of brands and social impact. She's also the author of The Lost Art of Connecting, The Gather, Ask, Do Method for Building Meaningful Relationships. Susan has more than 25 years of experience in marketing, public relations, and sustainability communications. She has appeared on NPR and CNN and been quoted by USA Today, The New Yorker, New York Magazine, and The Los Angeles Times. And as if that's not enough, Susan is the recipient of Forbes Magazine's 50 Over 50 Impact 2021 Award and Worth Media's Worthy 100 Award. She has also won numerous accolades for her voice on social media platforms. Susan McPherson, welcome to Next Steps Forward. Chris, I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. No, we appreciate your time. I know how busy you are. So, Susan, you've chosen a timely and timeless topic to examine. Connecting comes easy for some people, and it's very difficult for others. It always helps us to have, to have good role models and mentors, and you first learned about connecting from your parents. What motivated them to be connectors? You know, that's a great question. And if they were still alive today, that would be the first question I knew. But I do have fleeting memories of both of them saying that's the joy in life. And when we close ourselves to meeting new people or getting to know the people we already know, we're missing an opportunity to learn more about the world, to learn more about things we don't know, and most importantly, to learn more about ourselves. So I can honestly say it was both from their just un relentless, not un their relentless curiosity about the world around them. And that was deeply and is deeply embedded in me all these 50 some odd years later. So deeply embedded in you, you know, what were some of their techniques? You know, what did you learn from them? Wow. Well, back in the late 60s, early 70s, I still have memories of fighting for real estate uh, at the breakfast table for my bowl of cereal or cinnamon toast or whatever I ate back then, um, because they would have the five local newspapers splayed out. And yesterday's or the day before's New York Times and Boston Globe, because they would come via the mail. And they'd be clipping and cutting, no joke, every day, then going to their respective manual typewriters and typing short little missives, whether in my mom's case, she did public relations for PBS. So she might be sending off something to a reporter saying, John, I'm thinking of you. And most likely it would be John because there weren't a lot of women in newsrooms. And my father would be reaching out to a current student, former student, or who knows else, because my dad taught for 40 years at a women's college. And off into the postal mail, these um, missives would go. And I thought everybody's parents did that. So when, you know, the internet came rolling along in the mid nineties, all of a sudden I was like, wait, I can do what they were doing, but much more efficiently, but still with the same grace. Were you a connector as you grew up or did you develop that interest in those skills after you started your career? Absolutely. As I grew up, 
Um, and again, I, I have to credit my parents because I just assumed that's what you did. You connected people, you introduced people. And to this day, when people ask me to make intros, I mean, I always ask first, but I don't believe the people I already know are my connections. And I think of when I make an introduction, I'm gifting. I mean, because there are these magical moments that happen when you do make connections. Is it exhausting to feel like you always have to be connecting with somebody? It's got to be, right? (laughs) It's a dream. It's, I think, because so much good. I mean, when you think about your life, Chris, and you think about the successes you've had, almost always there was someone who was making a connection for you. And I don't think we think about it that way. I think we just, you know, assume it's going to happen and this and that. But when we make the extra effort, I assure you, it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but good will come back. So, Well, that's the old phrase, uh, phrase of, you know, don't burn any bridges. Uh, and you and I are in similar age. And what I'm finding is the older you get, the smaller the world gets, uh, especially within your industry. And so you just start meeting people you haven't seen in 10 or 15 years. And it's good to just keep those connections going. Absolutely. So clearly you saw something missing when it comes to connections. But what was the spark of inspiration for the lost art of connecting? Ah, well, a couple of things. Um, I don't want to bore your listeners, but um, number one, I started a company, a social impact communications firm, when I was 48. Nine years later, 90% of our business has been inbound, meaning the connections that I made in my 20s, in my 30s, in my 40s, when it wasn't even an inkling that I was going to start a business. In fact, it was the last thing I would think about. So to me, I'm going to be crass. There's money to be made in the connections you build, okay? And it's not like 30 years ago when I would meet someone and help someone. I was thinking, hmm, in 2013, I'm going to launch a company and I'm going to come calling. So it is definitely worthwhile depending on or not even depending on, no matter what your career aspirations are. And then back in 2016 or 2017, a friend said to me, when she would take her children to the, drop her kids off at the bus in the morning, she would hug them goodbye and send them up on the way on the big yellow school bus. And as soon as they took their seats, she would see them through the window, their heads would bop down. But here's the skinny. Every other child on the school bus did the same thing. Now, Chris, I don't have amazing memories of my school bus rides, but I did talk to my fellow students. So... I think that's what put me over the edge. But it's also, it was an important message. Um, you know, people see the title and they assume that it was all about the pandemic and responding to the pandemic. I just got stuck writing the book during the <laughs> pandemic, watching it in the pandemic. But it's kept the book, you know, definitely relevant because we are now even more disparate than we yep. ever have. Yep. And that, unfortunately, is a common trend and common conversation. Um, but like you said, just very timely. So is The Lost Art of Connecting your first book? Yes. And probably my last. <laughs> Why do you say that? It's not well, when you run a company at the same time. I mean, some people are authors and that's what they do and bless them. But I have 18 employees and lots and lots of clients and I serve on board. So um, it, it, it's very hard to carve out the time. So I can scratch one of my later questions about asking you if there's another book in the works. <laughs> I guess I already answered it. <laughs> I twist my arm. I mean, you know, but never I say mean, never. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it, 
we'll see. The world, the world is, you know, always changing and turning. So it is. You write in the book about the growing trends of disconnection. What are some of those trends? Well, I think we've just experienced two years of that trend, right? I mean, you know, the the pandemic had, had, it wasn't the first time we've been um, lonely from you know from from one another, but there was an epidemic of loneliness globally, um, and not just elderly people. I mean, study after study shows that. Uh, Gen Z and millennials. And, um, you know, I am all about technology, but when technology is not used with intent, intentionality, it can be um, harmful, hurtful. Um, it can put up block, like walls and, and roadblocks. And um, I think we are living in a time where it's so easy to dash off a message via tweet, via text, via WhatsApp, via signal that we've lost that intentionality when we think mindfully, what am I saying? Who's on the other end? What, what are my goals for this message? Now, I'm not saying every time you send a text to somebody to say hello, you have to go through this whole exercise. But I think if we could be a bit more mindful and a bit more intentional, there'd be less vitriol in the world. You know, and we've had a lot of shows during the pandemic uh, about mental health and about technology and about social media. And if I Google mental health technology, I'm going to find five articles that say social media is bad for mental health and five articles that say it's helped your mental health. A thousand. But I also, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'm just, this is going to be like a a huge, you know, business school case study um, in terms of how technology works or doesn't work. And then another, you know, societal study and sociology in terms of like how we as human beings respond and react to that. Absolutely. You know, but think about how horrible. I mean, the pandemic was devastating for so many people. People lost loved ones. People continue to lose loved ones. People lost livelihoods. Um, Could you imagine, though, if we didn't have, you know, the Zooms and the Microsoft Teams and the Google and, the you know, FaceTimes, um, let alone texts and all that? Um, so in some ways I'm grateful for technology. I mean, I have gone to weddings of people that I've met on Twitter. So, you know, it's, it's again, how do we use these tools in a way that is nourishing and fulfilling and not harmful and hurtful? Well, I totally agree with that. And we'll just stick with technology for another minute. You know, when the pandemic first started, I had three kids home, homeschooling. My goodness. You know, one in middle school, one in high, I'm sorry two in high school and one in, I think it was in fourth grade at the time. So he was eight years old. And all of a sudden, obviously there's a drain on your Wi-Fi, right? Everyone's online at once. <laughs> and one of my favorite pictures now that we're through the pandemic for the most part was early on, uh, my wife took a picture of me and my son sitting at our dining room table, sort of two chairs apart. He's on my iPad going to school. I'm on my laptop going to work. And that was the, the new norm. Um, but to your point, technology helped us get through it. You know, it's completely changed the corporate world. Uh, I no longer have a physical office myself. I share space. You know, my company said, no, we're shrinking our footprint. And three months later, three boxes showed up with six years of my life in it. Um, But, you know, with technology, we're able to do things more efficiently. Um, And I think the one positive thing is it's increased the quality of life. Yeah. Yeah, we're not commuting um, like we were now. Granted, it's a subset of people because yes. some people's lives didn't change at all. They just worked that many more hours. Um, you know, my company has been virtual since 2013 and I have people all over. So when the pandemic hit, there was at least one benefit <laughs> that we were at least ahead of the game. Um, Visionary. And, no, I don't know about that. I think I was just cheap. <laughs> <laughs> 
fiscally responsible is the phrase we like to I use. I love that. <laughs> We're often pulled in so many different directions that can leave us feeling stressed out. We have to make small talk with people at work, at our kids' softball or baseball or soccer games. Are some of these trends of disconnection necessarily bad? You know, again, it really depends on you know, what your goals are and what you're hoping to accomplish over the next 10, 15 years. I mean, part of my book at the beginning, um, there, it's divided into three um, sections, gather, ask, do. And part of the gather section is doing a bit of a self-audit to determine kind of what your goals are. You know, what is one year, three years, five years, or let's just say six months. And then really thinking about who is it that you want to connect or reconnect with and putting your resources there. Um, I think in the sense, you know, small talk, my, you know, we tend to talk about anything. We talk about the weather just so that we have something to talk about. And I think small talk can actually be, you know, disrupted and changed into things that are more meaningful, you know, and, and maybe things that can be fulfilling for both. So instead of talking about the weather, why don't you talk about an experience you recently had or a podcast that you listened to that you want people to, to, to follow? And then it becomes less exhausting. At least that's my experience. You just touched on one piece there with gather. What is the gather, ask, do method of building meaningful relationships? Well, in the gather phase, like mentioned, it's really about thinking about how connections can help you meet your goals, but also thinking what your superpowers are. And the reason why is the underlying notion of the entire book is flipping networking on its head. When we learned how to network, and believe me, we will continue to network, we have to, but the notion was you would walk into a room, whether it's a virtual room or a a real room, you would walk in and you would think about what can I get? What can these people give me? What can I walk away with? What promotion can I get? You know, what new job? And my methodology is all about flipping that and instead walking in and thinking, how can I be helpful to people? How can I support these people? What superpowers do I have that can literally change lives? And so in the gather section, it's all about realizing what your superpowers are, and they're going to change. So it's a healthy exercise to do perhaps once a year. The ask section is thinking about the questions you can ask from others so you learn what their hopes and dreams are. And if you listen carefully, you can get to the do phase, which is my favorite phase, and that's when you make connections, you make introductions, you make recommendations, and in doing so, you become reliable, trustworthy. And to me, those are two traits that actually are really good personally and professionally. I love the human, superhuman phrase you keep using. It's uh, something people need to think of themselves in, in terms of like, I can do it. There's something here I can provide a benefit for somebody. I may not realize it. I may not know it, but some opportunities may come up and help when you can, not when you have to. Yes. And I, I think before people think, oh my God, it's so exhausting. I can barely help myself. It can mean making an introduction. It can mean recommending, you know, a favorite restaurant. It can mean, you know, suggesting a new place of worship in case somebody is, you know, feeling lost. Um, it can mean a cause, you know, that, that perhaps, you know, somebody might be passionate about. That's helping. And that's not exhausting. That's enriching. You know, it's interesting, literally five minutes before the show, a former colleague of mine texted me who I have not seen in six or seven years, but we text every now and then. 
Uh, and he said, hey, do you know so-and-so at this firm? And I said, yes, I do. And he said, hey, they just did X. Can you make an introduction? Because I think I can help solve X. Like, yeah, of course. So it's just, like I said, the older you get, the smaller the world gets, especially in industries. But um, yeah, it was just very you know, funny time to give the show today. So with the gather, ask, do method, is this something you developed yourself? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you forgot to put the duh at the end of that. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not who I am. Um, uh, but no, I, when I landed the book contract, I quickly learned when you have a business book that you are bringing up, you have to have a, a methodology. So um, believe me, it wasn't just, you know, pulled out from throwing spaghetti at the wall. I, I did some self auditing myself and realized what has happened over the last 40 plus years or 35 plus years of my career. And for years, people have been trained to go to receptions or other events and network. You talked about that before you've been to somebody's wedding where you met on Twitter. What's wrong with the whole notion of networking and how is the gather, ask, do method different from the traditional strategy of networking? Yeah, well, I probably jumped ahead earlier, um, but I believe that we need to flip networking on its head and make it about how we can be helpful to others rather than what we can gain. Because I fervently believe when we help others, the good will return. There's an ROI, and like maybe not today, maybe not tonight, maybe not tomorrow, but next week, next month, and next year. And most everyone has heard of FOMO, the fear of missing out. I love your acronym, JOMO. The joy of meeting others. Why is it so important to creating meaningful connections? Can you explain that, please? There is power when you can convene. And I think a lot of people are afraid of that because we don't feel we have power. And we also feel like, wait, we don't know anybody. Who can we invite? And I learned a long time ago, as I was trained to be a salesperson in the early 90s, that if you couldn't get in a door or you couldn't be, you didn't get an invitation, create your own. So in uh, 92, I think it was, I started creating um, monthly coffee. We called them coffee clutches, which again, dates us. Um, but the goal was to bring people in a similar field together. And it started out four people. Um, and Within six months, it was close to 100 because everybody, the four invited four, invited four, and it started getting, and it grew upon each other. And after um, several months, I got invitations. So the point is, is try not to, I mean, we all have FOMO. Every time I open up Instagram, I have FOMO. Um, I had FOMO in high school when I would come back on Mondays after, you know, a weekend and I'd hear about all the parties I didn't get invited to. So I have flipped that switch also and made it about inviting those in. And again, for the, for the shy or introverted, you don't have to do all the inviting. I love that. You described as a serial connector. And that's S-E-R-I-A-L, not C-E-R-E-A-L, connector. <laughs> to be clear for our listeners and viewers, what defines a serial connector and how does someone become a serial connector? You know, I, I coined it in 2007 because I went away with seven girlfriends. And if you may recall, Chris, that time was a really interesting time when social media was coming of age. And it became very important that very succinctly, we could describe who we were, what we did, what our superpowers were. And the goal of that weekend was to come up with what our elevator speeches were. So in two minutes, how would we describe ourselves? By the end of the weekend, I finally said, 
hi, I'm Susan McPherson. I'm a serial connector, blah, 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 blah. And I almost peed in my pants because it sounded so ridiculous. Um, but then 16 years later, I published a book on it. And when I'm on stages around the world, they will say, welcome, Susan McPherson. She's a serial connector. So, you know, I joke, but it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, but I felt safe to, sh- to to come up with it and state it because I was in the company of seven dear friends. And they would have looked at me and said, you sound like a loser. <laughs> Instead, they were like, yes, that's you. That's what you've been doing your whole life. So that's how it came up. And I believe anyone who has a passion to make introductions, to make connections, to reap the benefits of connections can call themselves a serial connector. I certainly don't have the patent or copyright on that term. You should. You absolutely should. Uh, (laughs) But it's great that you had the kitchen cabinet there with your seven close friends to be a sounding board for you. Well, this is also important for your listeners, because I think sometimes when we get stuck realizing what our superpowers are, Ask the people closest to you. Ask your, you know, partner. Ask your husband or wife. Ask your dog. Ask them. Speaking of dogs, I have a dog behind me. Um, but seriously, you should ask people. Well, I'm surprised you actually haven't heard my vicious Shih Tzu Zeke snoring over there because he snores like a, a train. So I'm, I'm with you. I understand. We've actually had to stop a couple of shows because the UPS guy would come and ring the doorbell and he's been going crazy. So I'm glad he's sleeping too. Yeah. No, let's not curse it. because Exactly. Knock on wood. So what are the benefits of being a serial connector? Well, I, um, building a business. Uh, like I said, 90% of our business has been inbound. And it's not like I knew all those people I would meet you know, 30 years ago would come around. But they have. You know, They may not be direct clients, but they are recommending. Um, I've been invited to be on boards. Um, that all comes from relationships, truly. And when you're getting connected like this or making connections, you've talked about your business, you've talked about your book, you've talked about your boards. There's a lot of things going on there. There's only so much time today and only so much Susan McPherson. Do you feel you ever get pulled into many different directions? Yeah. 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 And then I learned to say, um, which pains me, but you know, I'm human too. Um, Or I go to sleep and shut the door. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't have parents. I don't have kids. I, I've been single now for eight years. So, you know, I'm, I'm not adverse to understanding that I have more disposable time than a lot of people do. So I, I, I want to be mindful of that. But I also want to remind folks, I'm not recommending you do all of this. I'm saying maybe once a week, reach out to someone that you've lost contact with. Twice a week, reach out to two people you've never met that you have an interest in meeting and show them how you can be helpful to them. Don't ask to pick their brain. You just gave a couple of examples there. I'm sure it varies depending on specifics of the relationship, but if we've lost touch with someone that we've done business with, how do we reestablish that relationship without appearing that all we care about is making a new sale? We offer help. We do a little research. You know, in the 80s, I worked for USA Today. I was a researcher. To research someone before I interviewed them, I had two sources, the Encyclopedia Britannica and the Yellow Pages, okay? Today, almost anyone, I mean, 99% of people, you can find out something about them, you know, whether it's on Twitter to see what they are ranting about or LinkedIn to look at their career trajectory to Instagram to see what they're celebrating or the birth of their grandchild. So when you reach out to people that perhaps have gone dormant in your life, 
first lead with kindness and lead with compassion. Admit that, you know, take ownership, you've lost touch, and that you just saw XYZ and you'd love to recommend a podcast that might be of interest or a newsletter or just a simple congratulations and letting the person know that you're here to support. Don't make an ask, not yet, but reestablish connection and be kind. You know, it's amazing. You talked about, you know, the Encyclopedia Britannica and the Yellow Pages. You know, what do college uh, libraries look like these days? Um, you know, and you talk about finding anything out about somebody on the internet, you know, I co-founded and run a nonprofit and whenever we receive a random generous donation, I'm like, oh, I want to see who this person is. And you Google them and you see they're a rancher in Wyoming and they've got XYZ business and it's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Relationships, including meaningful business relationships, take a lot of work. Are there any shortcuts, any hacks to make it easier? Well, I think again, the methodology of being helpful. And I realize that's not a quick fix, but the difference between a meaningful relationship and a connection is that there's substance to it. I'm not all about just making connections for the sake of making connections. I'm about building relationships that there's reciprocity and that you support one another. And maybe people can't support each other at certain times of their lives because of everything we know exists and troubles and challenges and health issues. But this is for the long haul. This is not, again, I, I hope that's coming across. This is not like, you know, a, a, an urgently connecting and then saying, bye, see ya, we're connected. You know, it's interesting what you just said. My neighbor, every now and then will introduce me to friends and he'll introduce me to them as one way. Their name is one way because things only go one way for them. It's not a two-way street. Um, so totally understand that point. And, and looking at the other side of the coin, are there signs the relationship has ended or should end and if so, how do we recognize those signs and how do we end these relationships the right way? Well, this is this is a challenge for me because I tend to be like Velcro and I don't want relationships to end. <laughs> but I think as I've aged, I have learned that sometimes people don't like us. Some people sometimes people don't want to be around us and it has more to do with the other person than us. And that is acceptable. And there's 10 billion people on the planet. Um, so we've got to let those things go. Um, on the business side, you know, when when the business relationship is not mutually beneficial or it's harmful to your employees, to, you know, your mental well-being, it's time to cut the cord. Are there differences we need to be aware of between the process of connecting to build healthy personal relationships and meaningful business relationships? Well, and, you know, considering my dog is right here in the background, I think we are in a situation now where we are much more open um, and vulnerable than we ever were. And study after study shows that we, we have friends at work or friends in our client um, relationships. We're actually more productive. We're happier. We're more likely to stay at the organization that we are working at. So I'm a big believer in the overlap. I am not suggesting we have to go and air our dirty laundry in Zoom chats or in corporate, you know, meetings. But I do think if we can be a little more vulnerable with others, the 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 reciprocity will happen. But I also think the onerous is on those leading organizations because you can't expect everyone to feel safe about being their true selves because they don't feel comfortable. They don't feel a sense of belonging. So it really needs to come from the top. And the people in power need to 
help people feel more comfortable. It can't just be like, hey, bring your full self to work. Okay. So important to think about that. We've been talking to Susan McPherson, and we'll be right back after a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The White House doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. If you're struggling to understand your self-worth or deal with mental health challenges, you will want to tune into Your Life Matters Today with Dr. Cliff Robertson. Dr. Cliff and his guests will help you understand and work toward what you need to build your best life. Your Life Matters Today. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Next Steps Forward. To reach Chris Meek or his guest on the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Chris at nextstepsforward.com. Now, back to this week's show. We are back. I'm Chris Meek, host of Next Steps Forward. My guest today is Susan McPherson, author of The Lost Art of Connecting, The Gather, Ask, Do Method for Building Meaningful Relationships. We're also joined by her beautiful dog, Phoebe, in the background. So we just woke up from her nap. So I just want to give her a little shout out. Oh, she's going back down. She must, I must be boring her. So, Susan, when it comes to management of personnel, whether in business or the military chain of command, the maximum number of direct reports someone can supposedly effectively manage is nine. Is there a limit, a maximum number, or meaningful business relationships that we can maintain? It is so dependent on individuals and what their capacity is. Um, And I think it depends where you are in your life. I think it depends on, you know, I I mentioned earlier, I don't have parents or children or a partner, so I have more time to dedicate to this. So um, now, a year from now, something may change in my life that I don't have this much time. So I think, like, let's not put expectations um, we all know when things get to be overwhelming and then it's time to take a step back. I see friends with LinkedIn or Facebook accounts with 1,500 contacts or 2,000 friends. And for the record, I'm guilty of being one of those people. 
What do you make of that? Is there any way those folks, and myself included, can or should make more meaningful connections? Reach out to them. Prioritize. You know, this goes back to that gather phase where you actually think about what are your goals and then think about who you actually want to connect with that will help you meet your goals, but think about how you can be helpful to others. Um, And I do, you know, look, we're human. Ever since we were children, we have fixation on numbers. I remember as a brownie, you know, Girl Scout troop, it was all about how many patches you could get. Um, And it's, look, I think it's quality over quantity. Um, I also think it, when I, when, you know, I hear these numbers, to me, that's networking. That's not connecting. There's a big difference. You talked earlier about your elevator pitch. Virtually everyone in business, especially if you own your own business, has been told you have to have your 30-second elevator pitch ready because you never know when you're going to meet a potential customer or a very important person. Why is the elevator pitch not necessarily the way to go when making meaningful connections with those important people? Well, because it's not about you. When you are making meaningful connections, it's about the relationship. It's about the reciprocity. So the first and foremost thing is to learn a little bit about them and listen. And then perhaps adjust a portion of your elevator speech that matches or has some relevance, right? Um, you know, if, if I'm talking to someone that has no clue about corporate responsibility or a care, you know, I may say what I do in passing, but I'm not going to dive into, right? And I'm going to be curious about what they do and see, hmm, what, what kind of interesting ways it intersects with things I know. And then I ask a lot of questions. We talked about the pandemic before, and it's not an exaggeration to say that the pandemic changed the way we communicate overnight. How do you interpret those changes for better and for worse? I think we're still somewhat in the pandemic, um, you know, in, in, in some ways. And I, I think let's take the, what we've learned. And one of the things um, that I have learned and many people I know have learned is let's not take our relationships for granted because we don't know when we might see folks again right? And let's think about being more intentional when we catch up, when we connect, when we reach out to people and try not to make it all about ourselves. Um, you know, I, 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 the isolation for me, for instance, was very challenging because again, I live alone. Um, so, you know, my friends were my lifeline and, you know, whether it was Zoom or taking walks, that is what kept me kind of focused as well as my, my team members. So, I don't ever want to take advantage of my relationships again because they're everything. And obviously, communications technology is not all bad. No. Uh, how can we use technology in the most positive way to make more meaningful connections with others? We have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Use these platforms to learn, to listen, to engage. It doesn't all have to be about blah, 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 me, me, me right? And you'll be surprised how much you gain from that. So uh, I, I think we, we need to think about how we can be as most interactive as possible, as opposed to using the bully, bully horn or bully pulpit, whatever the term is. What advice do you have for us to avoid the pitfalls of technology when it comes to connection and creating community around us? Is it the, you've got two ears, one mouth, is there more to it than that? Oh, well, being intentional. What are you trying to gain? You know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with sending a short text or email. And I do this almost daily to various people that I haven't talked to in a long time or I miss or I'm thinking of. And I'll just say, thinking of you, sending a bit of love. 
hope you're well, with no anticipation of hearing back. So it lets people off the hook for feeling like they have to respond. And it's my way of just putting a little love and care in the world. And who doesn't like to receive a note like that? So to me, that's a very positive use of technology and a way to keep our bridges open, connected, whatever the term is. <laughs> Not burning. No, 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 no. And, and sticking with the, God gave you two ears, one mouth for a reason. In your book, you write about the importance of being a good listener when we're trying to build relationships. What's the best way to focus and become better listeners? Well, first and foremost, I would recommend that your audience tune in to Dr. Julian Treasures, uh, one of his four or five TED Talks, which are all about how to be a better listener. Um, I interviewed him for the book, and it was remarkable what he shared. And um, he helped me do something that I have been guilty of, I helped stop doing something I have been guilty of doing, and that is anticipatory listening. Because I'm so excited to get from ask, you know, the ask, ask section to the do section, I'm already thinking while I'm listening, what can I do? How can I be helpful? And then I miss what the person is saying. So I have learned to kind of step that back. Um, and listening specifically during these past two years has become really hard because when we're in Zoom meetings or Microsoft Teams meetings, we have our email, we have our, our social media, we have WhatsApp, we have text, you know, we have our phone, we have all of this buzzing in our ears when we're trying to pay attention. So I'm not suggesting this is easy. But this notion of ratcheting yourself back. Also, I now make a habit of always having a notepad with me and take notes so that a day or a week later, I can still remember a few things when somebody is talking. And then when I follow up with them, instead of just saying, gee, Chris, it was nice meeting you during our podcast, I would say something like, I would love to learn more about your Shih Tzu that you shared, your, your puppy dog, right? So in other words, like these are signals so that when you, when you follow up with someone, you're actually showing them that you did listen, that you cared enough to listen. But Dr. Treasure will give you a thousand other guides. So highly, highly, highly recommend that you you listen or watch his TED Talk. talk. You, mentioned, you mentioned asking a question and then asking the follow-up question because you're afraid you're going to forget or just to get the whole point out there. You know, one of the reasons that people have trouble listening to your point is that they're afraid they're going to forget what they want to say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is Dr. Treasure or anyone else, are there any solutions to that dilemma? Write it down. Make note. I, I, I hate to like not give you some miraculously, you know, innovative solution, but, and if you are more inclined to use your, your notes device or no, notes um, app on your, your mobile device, then do that. So, you know, you also, if somebody's giving a talk, you can always ask them if you, if, if you have permission to tape it not for sharing, but to use so that you can then go back and, and listen. And that's totally okay to ask. You primarily work with Fortune 500 companies and NGOs, and invest in and advise women-led organizations. How'd you get involved in that work? In the social impact work or in the investing in startups? We'll start with the investing first. I only invest in women-led startups and I've done 22 to date. Um, which is partially crazy because I've earned zero dollars, um, but you know they're risky and it's for the long haul. Um, and it mainly grew out of the fact that only two um, percent of funding goes to women-led startups, and far less goes to women of color startups. So it was my way of, in a teeny, teeny 
method to be able to help, you know, offset or assuage those horrible figures. Um, also, as an entrepreneur late in life or middle life, um, it was a great way to be able to learn more about running companies because I had never done so until I was 48. So having a seat at a table when you are a funder or an advisor to a startup helps you get valuable data um, that you can share with your own organization. And if you're able to, what are some of the companies you've worked with or are working with? And beyond being led by women, what common traits do they share that draw you to them? Well, again, there's my advice, you know, my, my funding over here, and then my company, which does social impact communications for Fortune 500 and, and NGOs and foundations. And we are very much um, hyper-focused on working with organizations that are making a difference so that we're not doing something called greenwashing or pinkwashing, where we are fake, you know, sharing fake uh, or, or amplifying um, not real impact. Um, and I have been working in corporate responsibility for 20 years, so um, it's a natural following. The beautiful thing is we live in a world today where social impact and sustainability are a must, not a nice to have. Um, so I do believe our business has grown because of that. So they're actually, you know, somewhat, I, they're not, they're not, they're two separate kind of parts of my life. Um, but obviously so much of it is built on deep, meaningful connections because that way, if I have a meaningful connection, somebody will trust me enough to come and either hire us or make an ask for funding. Because you never want, you don't want a funder or somebody you don't have, you know, either, uh, I mean, I guess some people take money from anyone um, and all the power to you, but people who are building long-term sustainable businesses are careful who they take funding from. And careful on the vendors and suppliers and partners that they work with. So I'm going to go out on a crazy limb here and guess that you help those organizations make connections. Yes, um, definitely as part of our scope. Um, I think it's more of an offshoot um, and a differentiator because there's a lot of communications firms out in the world. And increasingly, there are more that focus on impact because it is very, very, um, uh, you know, it, it's certainly um, ubiquitous now. Um, so one of our uh, secret sauces or superpowers is that we have a tremendous, you know, I dare I say Rolodex, um, and it continues to grow. Um, but again, it's because we put out a lot in the world. And I say we because I have a team that's amazing. And um, But, you know, I'm the old one in the room. And so my connections probably are a lot, you know, more um, robust. We'll leave it at that. How do you decide who to connect them with? Do you use a checklist of factors to help you decide whether to or not to connect them with? Well, you know, again, it comes, what is the, what is the mission? What are the goals? What are they trying to, you know, accomplish? Um, you know, you know the, again, I, I hope it doesn't come across that I'm saying, like, it's just let's connect to connect. I mean, that's fine, and people can do that. But what, what my sense is, is let's meaningfully connect to support one another. And if we have a client that wants to be speaking at conferences, we will make sure we connect them to the right people who are running those conferences. So you've talked about your social impact, your engagement in nonprofits. One of those includes USA for UNHCR. Mm -hmm. What is that organization and what does it do? Well, UNHCR is the UN High Commission for Refugees. It's headquartered in Geneva, Switzerland, and it protects those fleeing their countries all over the world for um, asylum. 
And USA for UNHCR is the U.S. arm of that for fundraising and advocacy because various UN organizations, they're very good. You know, they have a mission and they have to be doing the work that they're doing, but they don't have an expertise in advocacy in various countries. So there's country organizations that feed and that, you know, we have 88 million, no, 88.5 million displaced people on this planet. And with climate change, and the drastic effects of climate change, that, 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 those numbers are going to go higher. And wars like what's happening in Ukraine. So UNHCR's primary mission is to ensure the safe and legal passage of people who are fleeing, whether it's from Venezuela and coming to our borders to, or Ukrainians fleeing to Poland or uh, Congolese fleeing to Kenya. Um, these things are happening. Syrian refugees during the Syrian war. So as a board member, I have, have done lots of fundraising and advocacy for the cause. And what a gift, a privilege to learn and to meet people who have gone through this in their lives. Because boy, talking about appreciating what we have and the thought of having to flee everything that you own for safety is pretty, pretty heartening. We've had a few shows uh, on human trafficking, and this is just for my own personal interest and for our listeners who are involved in this. Does UNHCR do anything involving anti-human trafficking? Because, you know, refugees are obviously a primary target, especially with the war in Ukraine right now. That's a lot of what you hear about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people are, are fleeing human trafficking, and they know if they go back to their homeland, they will either be, you know, put back into a trafficking um, situation or could be could be killed. So again, UNHCR was founded in, I believe it was 1951, following World War II, because that was an inflection point in history where you had massive numbers of refugees. And um, I can't remember the exact number, but it was like 172 countries agreed that if somebody is seeking asylum, in their country, they will be protected and allowed the legal due process. And we have this here where people can apply for refugee, refugee, uh, I'm sorry, apply for immigration status, because if they go home, they will be harmed. So for two of my previous guests, Andy Berger and Heather Fisher, I know you're listening because you're loyal listeners. Uh, <laughs> we might want to connect with you on HCR, but we'll, we'll follow up with that offline. Of course. So Susan, given your busy schedule, what other organizations are you involved with? How do you balance it all out? Um, I don't. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> I try. Um, I do a lot of walking. I was a runner in my 20s and 30s. My, my running days aren't quite, so I take care of myself. Um, I try to eat right. Um, I try to laugh and smile. Um, I'm also on the board of an uh, organization called The 19th News, which is a nonprofit independent uh not an, excuse me, a nonprofit independent newsroom that focuses at the intersection of women and public policy with the goal to get more women's voices in the news and in, in news media. Um, I host a lot of events uh, and I have fun. So um, I wish I could give you lots more, but I think people have already had enough. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. That's great. Thank you. So there's one thing I don't want to be remiss here. We have just a short time remaining before I forget. Where can people find your book, The Lost Art of Connecting, The Gather, Ask, Do Method for Building Meaningful Relationships? And where can they get in touch with you if they'd like you to speak to their group? Wonderful. Well, you can find the book wherever books are sold, online, 
you know, bookstores, et cetera. Um, I can be found on the McPherson Strategies website, um, which is easy to find. And then on the interwebs, you can find me at Susan McP1. And I do a lot of talks, um, especially now that the world is, is opening up. Um, so I'd love to come visit any of you. Um, unfortunately, I can't bring my cute dog that's in the back, but, uh, but maybe she travels. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> Thank you for that. And because Next Steps Forward is about personal empowerment, commitment to well-being, the motivation to achieve more than we ever thought possible, and persevering through adversity, my final question is often to ask for parting advice to help our audience persevere through adversity and come out the other side. My question to you is, how can becoming better connectors through the gather, ask, and do method help us become more empowered, more motivated, and more able to overcome adversity? Leading with how you can be helpful to others. You'll, you'll see a world of difference change if you flip the script on that traditional feeling of more, 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 getting, 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 having people give to you. Lead with how you can give back first. Susan McPherson, author of The Lost Art of Connecting, The Gather, Ask, Do Method for Building Meaningful Relationships. Thank you for being with us today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Chris. It's been a joy. And I appreciate you showcasing my work. No, and what a fascinating perspective on relationship building. I really appreciate you sharing that with us. And thank you to our audience for tuning in to this week's episode of Next Steps Forward. And a special thanks to all the talented people at the Voice American Network who make great conversations like today's possible each week on the Empowerment Channel. I'm Chris Meek. For more details about upcoming shows and guests, please follow me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Chris Meek public figure and on Twitter at Chris Meek underscore USA. We'll be back next Tuesday, same time, same place, with another leader from the world of business, politics, public policy, sports, or entertainment. Until then, stay safe and keep taking your next steps forward. Thanks for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. Be sure to join Chris Meek for another great show next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, make things happen in your life.